Community Voice Podcast, episode number 37. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Community Voice Podcast. I am delighted to share with you a conversation that I just had, and you're about ready to hear, with my great friend Chuck Marting. Chuck and I, I met him in July 2019. We were at the Ray Edwards Copywriting Academy Live event in Franklin, Tennessee at the factory. And Chuck and his wife, Stacy came up to me in this little uh, community area there at the factory. And Stacy says, hey, can you talk to my husband about his fear of starting a podcast? And and he says, yeah, so I've been wanting to start this podcast. And, and I sit there, I said, hey, I can guarantee you that you'll go home and launch a podcast, but you have to ask, I, I'm going to ask you, may I have permission to say things that will challenge you at the deepest level? And he thought about it and he says, sure. And I used some stuff that he spoke to me in his introduction that he and Stacy had shared. And sure enough, he's like, yep, okay, going to go launch this thing. And he did. And I think it was the very next day I get a text. He says, hey, I heard you have a mastermind group. And Chuck, uh, as soon as we got back from that event and stuff, Chuck joined the Next Level Mastermind. And here we are two years later actually more than two years later, and Chuck is still a member of the Next Level Mastermind PM group. He's one of those people in my community that I'm honored to do life with, and that's what I love to share here in the community voice, to just share with you real-life relationships of people who are your true fans in your community. And without any further ado, without any further ado here is my conversation with Chuck. Chuck, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? I have never been better, and it gets better every minute of the day, and especially right now, because I am drinking a drink sponsored, this show is sponsored by Bang, or brought to you by Bang, it's not necessarily sponsored, but this this particular episode will be brought to you by Bang Energy Drink. So how did you come up with uh, your answer when people ask you, and how are you? Because I've heard you say that same thing several times so where did that come from i believe it probably came from whenever somebody says to dave ramsey how are you he says better than i deserve yeah that's what he's known for and i hate that response i think (laughs) it is the worst response i've ever heard to how are you doing better than I deserve, because it reinforces a subconscious belief that causes more fear of inadequacy in the lives of people. I'm not worthy. Mm. Better than I deserve. I, and so what, when I hear that, what, what, what is it that you deserve? I deserve suffering. I deserve pain. I'm a wretch. I am evil. I am. It's, I, so you know what? It doesn't matter how bad my day is. I am better than I deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's and that has always rubbed me the wrong way. 
Yeah. And and so it's like, well, gosh, well, if somebody were to ask you, Cliff, how do how are you doing? I've never been better. It gets better every minute of the day. And I've had people, you know, I you know, push back on it. That can't be right. Blah, blah, blah. What about this? What about and I'll tell you what, I can defend it till the cows come home. You know, when I was at the police department, we had a guy that <clears throat> when you would ask him the same thing, he would say he was doing just awful. <laughs> you asked. That was, that was his response to everything. Just awful. But you know what? That guy was miserable, man. And and so it went right along with his answer. You're like, going, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, you know? So I, I think that your response to stuff like that really talks about your personality and, and how you are and who you are and what you expect. Yeah. So Chuck, 20 years in the police force. Is that right? Just about 20. I, I left just, just prior to that. If I would have waited six more months, I'd have had 20. Something I know about you that may be known by a handful of people that have been in our next level mastermind PM group mm-hmm. is that 10 years you were like out in the field is what I would call it. I'm sure that you've got a better language for it, but, uh, and then the, on the street, on the street yeah. On the beat. That's it. He was a beat cop. Yep, that's it. Yeah. And um, then about the, the final 10 years was as a resource officer at a school. Yep, school resource officer. Best assignment I ever had. What caused you to become a police officer? <laughs> well... I don't know if you remember when I first joined the next level mastermind, that was a question you asked me too. And, um, I had a experience when I was a kid where somebody attempted to kidnap me and, uh, the police officer that, that, uh, had found this guy and, and, uh, ended up arresting him came back to my home that night to reassure me, reassure me and my family that I was going to be okay. And that this guy didn't know who I was, didn't know where I lived. Chances of me running into him again were very slim. Um, this guy was obviously, he was blasted out of his mind, high on something. And, uh, you know, he grabbed me and, and started walking me down the street. And I had an opportunity to get away and run, you know, like your parents teach you. My grandparents always taught you somebody ever try to grab you, you know, you try to take off and run. And that's what I did. And I just ran until I couldn't, couldn't run anymore and, pounded on a door and they let me in. And, uh, so yeah, so that was my first experience, um, with our interaction like that with, with the police. And, uh, it made an impression on me because afterwards I felt, you know, if I could help somebody like this guy, just help me. If I could make somebody else feel like he's made me feel, then that's what I want to do. And that stuck with you. So did you, like, did you always know I want to be a cop? That's that's what I want to do. When I get out of school, I want to go do this. I had thought about it, but it wouldn't. It didn't become what I wanted to do until that happened. Um, more so, I mean, about a year after that, I joined um, the police explorer group that they had at that police department, which is sponsored by the Boy Scouts, and uh, it's kind of like for lack of better terms on the job training type of thing where you actually get to experience and see firsthand what police work is about. You know, you're not a sworn police officer by any means. I mean, cause from the ages of 15 to 20, you can be in this group. And, uh, 
it, it just gives you the opportunity to kind of get a glimpse of it so that, you know, most people, there's some guys in, in during my career that I found that thought they wanted to be a police officer because they watched a couple episodes of cops and thought, Oh man, that's going to be cool. And then they got there and they're like going, man, I do not want to do this. Where with me, I, I pretty much walked into it knowing what to expect. I, I got to go on ride alongs with police officers. I got to go out and, and experience some of these calls and, and, and see things that a lot of people in the public didn't get to see. And so that just kind of um, confirmed to me whether or not I wanted to do this. And, and it was definitely something I wanted to do. Gotcha. Colorado. Have you always lived in Colorado? I lived in Colorado for a little while. Uh, it's been back and forth between Colorado and California. Really? <clears throat> yeah. I lived in California until I was about uh, seven years old, eight years old. And my family had moved out to uh, Colorado. We have family out here. Um, we actually lived in a little town outside of uh, right on the border of Kansas and Colorado called Goodland, Kansas. And uh, a little tiny town. And we lived there for a little bit. My dad owned a business. And when my dad's business partner had passed away, my dad decided to uh, get out of the business and we moved back out to California. He had some opportunities there. And then uh, when I turned 19, I went and served a, a church mission. And while I was on my church mission, my parents and family moved back to Colorado. So when I came back, I came back to Colorado. And um, shortly after that, Stacy and I, my wife, ended up getting engaged. And she's from Northern California. I was from Southern California, which are two different, like two different states. I mean, it's just totally different. And uh, when we first got married, it was actually least uh, less expensive to live here in Colorado than it was out in California to get started in, in our marriage. So we decided to stay here and, and that's how we stayed in Colorado. Your father had a business partner, you said. Uh-huh. What kind of business was your father in? My dad had a vending business. So we had everything from coffee machines to cigarette machines to candy machines, ice cream machines to arcade games. So of course, growing up like that with a business like that, kids were always wanting to come to our house because, you know, all the expired stuff from the candy machines you couldn't sell. So we had boxes of this stuff that we ended up giving away and giving to shelters and stuff like that. So there was always stuff to eat and pop and stuff like that. But we also, you know, I, I was probably the only kid in eighth grade that I can remember that had a, a pinball machine and a cocktail table of Pac-Man in my bedroom where we could play Pac-Man or play pinball. So we used to have, my dad would buy new arcade games. And so I'd invite my friends over and he'd have us play them just to see if we, he would gauge by our engagement with this game, if it was really going to take off or not. And that would help him in, in deciding whether or not he wanted to buy a couple more, just seeing our reactions and how we did. And uh, so I remember being young and, and uh, it's kind of I'm dating myself, man. My dad had a, a truck stop and I remember in the summertime, my mom and I going out to this truck stop like three times a day to fill the soda pop machine because it would be empty three times a day. Wow that was before they were selling pop in the stores. They just had like, you know, the stuff that you would get for your car if it broke down or things like that. They really didn't have items like that yet. And so my mom and I'd go out there and we'd fill this, this, uh, this vending machine. And each time we did, we'd come out with like 
you know, anywhere between 500 to $800 worth of quarters because you didn't have the dollar bill things at that point. I remember carrying all these quarters going, dang, man, this thing is heavy. You know, I didn't realize how much money was there until my, my mom would put it in a machine at the house and, and it would do the total and all that. And you're like, holy cow, man. So we sold a lot of pop and did a lot of stuff. So it was, it was a good business. Um, my dad did pretty well with it. Uh, family did pretty well with it. And then, uh, like I said, his, his partner had passed away and my dad decided to get out of the business. Wow. So was that like, that? that's the business you remember your dad always having? No, my dad's, uh, <clears throat> my dad was a welder by trade. And that's what I remember him doing a lot of. Um, he owned that vending business for probably about, I don't know, about uh, eight to 10 years. Gotcha. And, and we, uh, but then when he did, we went back to California, he went right back into welding. And that's what he did for the, the rest of his life was welding. So a couple of things came up for me while you were talking. First of all, are you aware of coin collectors now? And were you aware of coin collectors back then? Oh, yeah. My uh, my dad and my mom were very keen to that because you would have, unfortunately, kids would raid their parents' uh, stash of quarters and stuff. A lot of those were like silver quarters, things like that. And it, it was very obvious when you would go through all those quarters, you could see which ones were which. Yeah. And the mom and dad would take those out, pay the business back for that amount that they took out. And then they would save them. And there were, there were some quarters that my dad had that were worth quite a bit of money that I'm sure there was uh, some kids whose parents were pretty furious that they were missing those quarters. <laughs> well, I, I, there's this TikTok account and I come across it every now and then, but this guy typically, it, it looks to me like he goes out and buys like a hundred dollars worth of rolls of corner quarters mm-hmm. and he unrolls each of them and he does, he does lives every night and he's going through and he's like, oh, 2020. And, he's, and he flips it over and he's like, listen, I'm looking. Is this a P? Is it a P? You know, if, if, if it's a P. And then there's occasionally he's a this guy just has memorized all the misprints. Mm-hmm. You know, That's what say, the misprints. Yeah. The, the, there's one called the spitting horse. So he's got this light line that comes out from his the horse has a line coming out from his mouth or whatever. And it's like, dude, this quarter right here. This is worth three hundred and fifty dollars. I was like, if you ever see this, don't throw this out. You know, I remember being a kid. My dad showing me a quarter that he had that he that he got out of a out of an arcade game, and he said, "This quarter right here is worth five hundred dollars." Yeah, yeah. You know, so my dad, you know, that was his business. He was very keen to that, and my mom was too. And they they constantly looked for it. I wasn't as good at seeing it, seeing it, or or detecting it like they did, but yeah. The other thing that came up for me was video games. My mom and dad, for a period of time, my dad left the insurance business that my grandfather started, and he decided to go out and he purchased a grocery store and laundromat that were combined together in a really bad neighborhood. Um, <laughs> really bad neighborhood. The, the store was held up many times. My dad had this big, gigantic gun that was about this long and it's like, dude, get out of here. Is what he- <laughs> <laughs> <Scan>. <laughs> yep. Anyway, but owning a grocery store in this neighborhood, he had lot. He also had lots of uh, arcade machines. So we had Asteroids, Space Invaders, Centipede, 
uh, Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. We even had Dragon's Lair. But come on. Okay. So I'm going to ask you yours, but I'm going to tell you mine. Best Arcane game ever. Joust. I was just going to say Joust. Were you? Me. Yep. Exactly. Joust. And uh, God, there was another one that we used to like all the time. I, I My dad, like I said, he would, he would exchange and change outs. We always had arcade games at the house, but that was the one that... When, when he had it there, we had, if you're going to play it, you were going to play it quick because it was going right back out to make money. Yeah. My, so. my next game was Miss Pac-Man. Mm. I could, I could get, you know, cause so it starts out, it starts out on pink and you get two levels of pink and then you get three levels of blue and then you go to the kind of like the brownish orange color level mm-hmm. and dude i could hit that thing and i am all the way back to the pinks all the way back to the blues and all the and and then all of a sudden you know how it lines up the fruit it's just yeah. like going all the way across the screen screen yeah yeah yep uh, yeah, i really like centipede too as a kid yeah centipede was a good game a lot of that fun stuff so yeah. let's see here. What was your first job? The, like the first thing you ever got paid to do? <laughs> it, it, you know, it's kind of funny because my, my dad, with him having a business like that, I knew that I could go make money with my dad if I went and did stuff like going and filling the pop machines and stuff like that. But they encouraged me, you know, if you want something, then, you know, go get it, go find something to do, mow lawns or do whatever. And I did, I mowed lawns for a little bit, but you know, that got old after a while. And, uh, so my, my first real official job that I got was probably delivering newspapers. Oh. Yeah. So I was a paper boy for a little while. My, I had a German shepherd that uh, hated the newspaper carrier. Hate, she would charge the door and try to get at him. So when I walked in the door, getting my paper route and walked in with my paper route bag, my dog is like broke her heart, man. <laughs> She was like, you traitor. Um, she tore up my bag one time and so I ended up having to buy a new one. But um, yeah, delivering newspapers was my first job. And then um, probably the second one after that was I, I did, uh, I washed dishes at the uh, Holiday Inn in their restaurant. Yeah. Maybe 12 or 13 years old now when I got that job. Wow. Yeah. I, I, this this is why I love the community voice because it always brings out stuff that I, that, I would have never thought of, you know, just re, I don't know if they're repressed memories or just, you know, these are things you just don't think of, but I, <laughs> I, I forgot. I used to, I had a paper route as well, although it wasn't my paper route and it wasn't walking or cycling on my bike or anything. This was, um, Stephanie and I had just started dating. So th- I was about 22 years old and I was in college, I believe at the time. To- yeah, I was definitely in college at the time. And so it was one of those things where you go, you pick up the papers uh, in a parking lot uh, at two or three o'clock in the morning, and they would load these things into the back seat of your car, piled all the way up. And so this guy had the paper route, but he wanted to, he was willing to pay me to deliver his papers for his route several days a week. He had he had advertised it in the paper. And so the first couple times I rode with him, and it's just a list of addresses, and I would go and uh, eventually have it on my own, 
Stephanie would go with me. I'd pick her up in the middle of the night, and we would go and deliver papers together. So we get the we get the papers at three o'clock in the morning, and while I'm driving, she's rolling papers and put, stuffing them in their bags, and then we then we're just so. So I'm driving one hand and I'm tossing them, you know, this way out the car into the people's driveways. And we would do that all the way until sunup. It'd be like 630 in the morning. We're finished delivering papers on the paper route. I forgot that I had done that. You know, what's crazy is in the, in the town that I was in, it wasn't a morning newspaper. It was an evening paper. Really? It was on the only paper that was in the morning was on, it was the Sunday paper. Hmm. Everything else was in, in the afternoon. There wasn't a Saturday paper. Um, but it was kind of a special time too, because I look back at it and my, my, uh, grandfather would take me and, and drop me off to pick up the papers. And then he'd take me to my route, drop me off at the one end and drive all the way down to the end to the last house and wait for me. And my dad would do the same thing. You know, they just drop me off at the beginning of the route and then wait for me at the end. And I delivered the papers. So did you ever play any sports as a kid? I did. Uh, of course, played football, um, played baseball, and uh, played some basketball as well. Did wrestle for a little bit. And uh, then when I get into high school, I did it for a couple of years and then decided I wanted money more than I did sports. And so I got out of there and got a job with uh, Albertsons working in, as a uh, courtesy clerk and did that until I went on my uh, my mission for the church. What is Albertsons. I've heard of it before. It's a grocery store. Okay. Like Stateway or I don't know what kind of grocery stores you have back there. But yeah, they're they're a big they were a big grocery store out in uh California. In fact, this one was uh it was called a grocery warehouse. And so it was bigger than your nat your your average Albertson's grocery store. And it was com- it was almost like a almost kind of like a Sam's Club type of thing where they ordered stuff in bulk and so people could go in there and buy big, bigger, uh, amounts of, of produce or, uh, any type of canned goods or anything like that. You get the bigger cans or more cans that you could get and stuff like that. And what does a courtesy clerk do? Well, at this one, I didn't, tr- traditionally they bag groceries, but I didn't have to do that there. Uh, people in order to save money would bag their own groceries so I would, I would uh, stock up the bags for people. I would go and do price checks on stuff. Uh, in a place like that, you had a lot of what they call go backs where people would want something and go, eh, I don't want it. And they just throw it on a shelf instead of putting it back. Well, I was the one that had to go find that on the aisles and then go put it back where it belonged. Gotcha. Uh, go out and get carts and bring those back up so people had them. Cool. Uh, let's see here. Television. How how important was television to you as a kid? As a kid, um, I don't think it was really all that important to me, other than in watching sports. So, really? like watch football or something like that. I was I was pretty active, man. I was either working or I was out with my friends. I didn't have time, you know, to mess with TV or anything like that. I remember on the weekends watching TV and stuff like that with my family, but nothing really. What, what were you messing around with your friends doing? Um, I was, like I said, I, I always was wanting to have a job so I could have money. So I had actually, 
bought and paid for my first car in cash before I even had a driver's permit. Really? Oh yeah. About six months before I had, was able to get a driver's permit. I already had a car waiting. Um, so I was like the only one out of all my friends that had a car. And so I was like the community driver for everybody. I was the modern day Uber at that time for everybody. So we went, we just go cruising around, messing around, you know, and Southern California, you have a lot of you probably have heard of in and out burger. That was like the, the hangout place on Fridays and Saturday nights. Only hamburger place I ever remember or even have known since that, that would have bodyguard or bouncers outside of this thing. Cause there's so many kids there and there were so many, you know, we went there mainly to see the cars and, and to see people we hadn't seen in a while. We just so, hung out. So were they doing now here we had in, in where I live, we called it cruising. Did you guys yeah. do cruising? Yeah. Yeah. We go cruise main street and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We had that in, in Northern Kentucky here. We, we had, uh, a pretty popular mall district and there was a room a road called dream street and dream street was all a bunch of fast food you know the mcdonald's and stuff like that and and so there was this one road and it had a car wash that people would turn their cars around and dr- tr- cruise the other way and then there was across from the mo- mall there was this other shopping strip and it had a movie theaters and so the, you'd cruise up and down there and there was a place, well, there was Chuck E. Cheese's. And Chuck E. Cheese's was in the old time, it was, it was an arcade place. I don't know if you guys, did you guys have Chuck E. Cheese's? We have them out here. Same thing still, pretty much yeah. an arcade. You yeah. don't go there for pizza, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> th- this was when they had real arcade games, like the, the classics. Uh, and it was like the hangout. And well, our Chuck E. Cheese's had what's called teen night every Friday night. And for $5, you get unlimited pizza and unlimited soft drinks for $5. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they had a live DJ spinning records. And, of course, you bring your rolls of quarters to play, you know, arcade games. So people would be sitting there doing that, and we would be in there all night long. And then after that, then the cruising would begin. And so we would cruise up and down these streets and all this other stuff. And I had a... a, That's crazy. Yeah, those those are the good old days. (laughs) But I I ate ate a lot of Chuck E. Cheese pizza back in the day. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because I just remember it wasn't so, we did cruising, but one of the things, and I don't even, I have not seen this in a long time, kids doing this, but we used to go and TP the heck out of people's homes. Yeah. Especially me working in the grocery store, any of those broken bundles of toilet paper, they would sell for like five cents a roll or something. So I would just get all of them that I could and we'd take my car and we would just TP the hell out of people's homes, man. <laughs> It was so fun. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, music. Did you, were you one of the, I, I, did you buy a lot of CDs uh, back in your days when you were cruising around in your car? Did you have a stash of music? I had music. I don't know if I had a lot of it. Um, we used to, it's kind of funny because we had CDs and we had cassettes. Uh, at the same time and it was they didn't have any cd recorders out yet so you had to record cassettes and so i remember buying the big old bags of blank cassette tapes and then if you had a friend that had some really good music you like hey make me a copy and you'd give it to them they'd make you a copy and so you had a bunch of bootleg cassette tapes probably and and uh so you'd wait till somebody bought 
a new one. If you liked it, then you had them copy it for you. And we never, we never even thought about copyright stuff or laws or any of that crap. We just did it. You know, everybody did it at that time. Yeah. You didn't even hear a song on the radio and you could record the, the song from the radio with a cassette. So that's what we used to do. Yep. Sounded like crap, but you had the song. I, my very first car was a 1979 Dodge Aspen station wagon. <laughs> it was pea green. Ugh. Had the fake wood paneling on the side. And it had one orange tire. One orange tire. <laughs> one orange tire. And the reason why I had an orange tire is because that was the spare tire that was in the tire well, the, the spare tire well, and water had gotten in it, and it had <laughs> rusted, and that tire, tire had turned permanently orange rust, or rust orange. So this was my first car. And guess what I had? What did you have? I was the only kid at that time with an eight-track stereo in their car. Oh, wow. And the fun part is, is my dad actually still had a collection of eight-tracks. So uh, I used to go cruising. (laughs) I didn't cruise a whole lot in that car because I was embarrassed to be seen in it. (laughs) But I would go driving. I'd, I'd drive. Oh my uh-huh. god! I just, I just had the worst memory. Oh my gosh! I'll never forget. I went on a first date with a girl, and I picked her up in my, <laughs> my Dodge Aspen station wagon with the orange tire. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Anyway, that was funny. But I used to go driving, and I would be listening to eight tracks: Eagles Live. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. Pink Floyd, another brick in or brick in the wall. Uh, you know, oh gosh, who I was bet you had Boston. Definitely had Boston and Journey and all. The, it's like, dude, I I had all the classics in eight track. Yeah, and I had a special adapter that would allow me to play cassette tapes in my eight track. Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, that's fun. Mine was, uh, my first car that I bought was a 1979 Ford Pinto. Ooh, those are the things that like exploded if they got hit in the back end. My dad, after I bought it in a while, he came up to me, he goes, I don't know why I let you buy that car. He says, if they they rear end you, you're going to die in that car. And so, I mean, (laughs) mine was different because the whole back end of it was just a big glass window. Yeah. You know, so, but I remember Having everybody in there and people crawling in the trunk and being in the back, dress driving. <laughs> there are two cars that the Pinto reminds me of. One, do you remember the Gremlin? Yep, my mom and dad had one when I was a kid. And then, and then the other car it reminds me of is the Yugo. Do you remember Yugos? They do. <laughs> A lot smaller though. Yeah. Yeah. Was it was I I just barely remember Yugos. I was I was not driving when Yugos were a thing, but I do remember Yugos. And am I correct in thinking that they sold this as almost like a disposable car? Yeah. Cuz they were really cheap to buy and you could drive them for so many miles and after that they would start falling apart so then you just they were cheap enough you could get rid of them and get another one. Yeah. 
So um, I remember Saturday Night Live did a skit called The Adobe. Do you remember that? No. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. Let me see if I can. Let me. Uh, here, I'll pull it up on my phone. <laughs> put, put this in Do Not Disturb. And S, let's see, SNL Adobe commercial. Okay, so I'm going to plug this in. I have no idea what this is going to sound like in audio only, but let's give it a shot. I feel inspired to share this commercial. <laughs> These days, everyone's talking about the Hyundai and the Yugo. Both nice cars if you've got three or $4,000 to throw around. But for those of us whose name doesn't happen to be Rockefeller, finally there's some good news. A car with a sticker price of $179. That's right, $179. The name of the car? Adobe. The sassy new Mexican import that's made out of clay. German engineering and Mexican know-how helped create the first car to break the $200 barrier. At this price, you might not expect more than reliable transportation. But brother, you get it. Extra features like the custom contour seats. Or the beverage gripping dash. And the money you save isn't exactly small change. Hey, hey, we're Adobe. The little car that's made out of clay. We're gonna save you some money. So there's a car crash. And she gets out and she's reshaping the bumper. Adobe. You can buy a cheaper car, but I wouldn't recommend it. Not approved for street use in some states. No warranties, either expressed or implied. All sales final. All sales final. Anyway, fun stuff. Ah, there, that's back. Did you ever watch Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live when you were a kid? A little bit. There were there were seasons of Saturday Saturday Night Live where it's just like that is the funniest show I've ever seen in my life, and then there are other times where it's like this is the most terrible stuff I've ever seen on television. Yep, but I was a huge fan of Dana Carvey and the Church Lady. Oh, the Church Lady! <laughs> the Church Lady was a hoot. And then Hans and Franz said, we're here to pump you up. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Oh, goodness. What other childhood memories do you have, Chuck? Hmm. There's a lot of stuff. Um, You know, I think the, the biggest thing I remember is just being able to go to the park and you get your chores done and stuff and you'd be like, I'm out of here. And you'd meet all your friends down at the park and you played football or something like that. You know, I mean, and you don't see, we get all these parks and stuff now and you hardly ever see a big mob of kids there playing just a pickup game or something like that. Um, now you have leagues and stuff like that, but you, you don't, uh, you don't see that anymore where you'd be there. I remember being there like all freaking day and having a, go home at five o'clock so you could be home by five thirty to eat dinner and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the other things I really remember is having that opportunity to meet with friends and just having a pickup game. There is a, there's a memory for me that comes up. I remember as a kid, we lived in a neighborhood and it was, it's kind of like the suburb. So it's, it's not like we're all next to each other. I mean, there are a couple streets where you're, there are houses next to each other, but there were plenty of woods in between 
streets. <laughs> so, and not like massive forest area or anything like that, but enough trees to to where if you w- went into the woods in between these streets, nobody's going to certainly see you. Yeah. And um, it it, le- it led to a lot of fort building. Did you ever build any forts when you were a kid? Like secret hideouts? And tree houses, yeah. Yeah. That stuff. Yeah, we had that. Um, this is a fun memory that comes up. <laughs> okay, so they're... Oh, wow. Okay, you got two memories. So one, uh, I was never really one to read comic books. Mm. But I was always intrigued by the advertisements in comic books specifically the ones that says hey you can win free prizes depending if you sell magazine subscriptions or if you sell you know greeting cards do you remember this at all yep so i would i would go and sign up for that and they would send me all the stuff to do it and i would go door to door and I would say, hey, I'd like to know if you'd like to sign up for a subscription to a magazine or this and blah, blah, blah. And people would sign up and they, I, I can't remember how they paid or anything like this, but I i, I went door to door selling. Mm-hmm. And um, every every month I would have the options like, hey, you've earned this much, you know, points towards rewards. Here's a catalog. Choose all the things you want. And I would get these electronic gadgets shipped to me it's like man this is pretty cool so i remember that but and this is and this is how this is where the thread is that led me from my secret fort to uh selling door to door from these magazines there was this one section of woods in our neighborhood where there was an abandoned tractor trailer like an old <laughs> have no idea how this thing got parked back there what there was no truck there was no you know cab to the truck it was just a it's just the the trailer of an 18-wheeler truck in the middle of the woods and completely everything grown around it Mm. and so we as kids discovered this and we opened it up and inside of it there was all kinds of just weird odd stuff and one of it was a big massive crate of three-ply carbon paper. Now, this is going to get really funny. (laughs) (laughs) We, my friend Kurt McBee and I, Kurt McBee was the best man in my wedding, by the way. We used to get in lots of trouble together. My mom did not like Kurt McBee when I was a kid. He's a bad influence on me, but I don't know that that was necessarily the case. I think <laughs> I think that just mom didn't know how bad of an influence I was on my own. So, so we we uh, we started going door to door, and we carried with us bags of carbon paper, and we said, "Hi, we're actually doing a fundraising sale." for our school and we're just interested to know if you're interested in buying a roll of three ply carbon paper for your typewriter projects and people it's like we we're absolutely convinced that these these grown adults that were knocking on their door absolutely are buying our story that our school has set us out on this fundraising campaign just like you know just like the candy bars that we would sell and we had people buy rolls of carbon paper from us. 
And wow. then and then we would go to the store and buy snacks and everything like that. But yeah, imagine imagine you know two eight or nine year old boys showing up your door at your door with a cup with a big you know paper towel sized roll of carbon paper three ply telling you that their school is doing a fundraising project and yeah anyway did you ever uh out of those magazines did you ever order uh uh sea monkeys sea monkeys i were those the things that you put in water and they grow yeah, and they'd like come alive and swim and do all that stuff. I do remember sea monkeys. Yeah. I don't remember how I ever got my hands on them or if I had them myself. Did they start in capsule form? Um, I can't remember how how I just remember setting up the the water container and all that stuff as a kid and they never lasted very long, maybe a week or two and then they died. <laughs> You had to dump them down the toilet or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't remember a whole lot about that, but but yeah, I do. Yeah, that I, it it rings a bell. Fun stuff. So you and Stacy. Well, actually, no. Before we go to you and Stacy, you mentioned a couple times your missionary trip. So you are part of the Mormon uh, faith. Is that correct? Correct. And I do know uh, the Mormon faith go the. Typically, it's there's an anticipation or an expectation that there would be a mission trip for children. Is is that also correct? Uh, yeah, for young men, it's uh, from the age of nineteen, but now they do it at eighteen. Okay, so eighteen, you serve for two years. It's uh, voluntary. It you you don't get paid for it, so you're self supporting. So either your family or you saved up money money to take care of your expenses and stuff like that. So. So your mission, you did this for two years, mm-hmm. and where did you go, and what was that experience like? Oh boy, I was I was in the state of Idaho, and uh, it it was a good experience. I think um, you know, anytime that you can just go to somebody's home, knock on their door to talk to them about religion, one of the most controversial subjects for a lot of people. Um, you learn how to communicate and talk with people. And so I think that, that really helped me for what I do now and not being afraid to approach people or to talk to them about business stuff or whatever, because I've, I've gone and done it with religion, you know? Um, so I, I did that for, um, for two years. I was all over the state of Idaho. I went to, uh, Let's see, Arco, Idaho, which is in the middle of the state. I went to Idaho Falls. I was in McCammon, Idaho, Pocatello, uh, Boise. And then I, I, the last area that I was in, it was actually the mission went all the way up into the state of Oregon. And I was in uh, La Grande, Oregon. Um, that's also how I, I met my wife. She was a, they call a sister missionary. So she was there. Young ladies, they can... Um, they can go voluntarily if they want to, they're not required or expected to go, but they can. And so they go for 18 months and not two years. So, so there is a connection between your missionary trip and meeting Stacy. Then there's no dating during that two years. You don't do any of that stuff. So, yeah. So I met Stacy. We got to be good friends. That's how we first met. And then after we both came home, we contacted each other and, um, this will blow your mind. We'd only gone on 
two dates before we got engaged. Really? And then three months later, we got married. And she was living in California and I was in Colorado. So it was like a long distance relationship. And we've been married for 31 years. Wow. So you met while on the mission trip. Uh-huh. How long had, had I mean, you had two years, she had 18 months, but how long into it? Like, so for example, how long were you friends at, from the time you met her until the end of your mission trip? Um, I would say we were probably friends for, um, her mission was 18 months. I met her, um, she was already two months into her mission. So we knew each other for about 16 months. Okay. So it was quite some time. And so, and, and how did you guys, like, what was that like for the two of you? Like, how did you, how did you see each other even as friends? Like how often did you see each other during those 16 months? Um, you know, you, you would have what they call like a, a a district meeting where they'd have everybody get together so often. So we would see each other if we were in the same area, um, for those times. And then, um, a lot of times, you know, you you struck up that friendship with somebody. And so we would send letters and stuff back and forth to each other. They weren't, uh, what you would consider, you know, romantic letters, you know, just kind of more, like I said, we, everything is a, as a friend, you know, and just supporting each other. Hey, how you doing? How are things going? You know, just to be a supportive ear of, of some kind to each other. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's how we, that's how we met. That's awesome. So I'm hearing for 16 months, you developed this friendship. All of a sudden letters are being exchanged, just kind of pen pal friends, supportive and and that's how the relationship pretty much is maintained during that entire period of time. Yep. Then do you now did one of you quote unquote end your mission trip before the other? Stacy went home before I did. Okay, how many months before? Uh, about 3 months. So she went home 3 months before you did. Mm-hmm. She went back to California. You're still in Idaho, maybe in Oregon at this time. Yeah, I was in Oregon still. Okay. So but the letters now are continuing. Yeah. Now she's like air packages with like, you know, baked goods, cookies and things like that. So so that's what I'm saying. I'm saying so so she's no longer on the mission trip. So did the nature of the letters begin to change? I don't know, you know, romantically. No, I think they, we, we just knew that we had a really good friendship and we really liked each other. Um, and, and so it was developing into that. And then, um, so she would send me stuff and I would write back and thank her and all that other stuff. And so, okay. So know. this, what this goes on for three months and then you're going back to Colorado because while you were on mission, your parents moved to Colorado. Yep. You know, by the way, I, I'm just going to pat myself on the back. Over the years, I've taught myself to be a pretty decent listener. I haven't taken a single note, and I'm following this beat for beat, man. I, just, I'm just saying. It's like, where? Who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so, 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 your parents have moved back to Colorado, uh-huh. and and now you're finished with the mission trip. I would yeah. imagine you're like corresponding with Stacy and say, "Hey, just so you know, I'm going to be moving home, uh, but now home is in Colorado. Here's my address." I would imagine that correspondence has been made, is this correct? Yeah, it's kind of different than than what you're thinking right I, now because I, I 
when, when you come home, you usually re- do like a report back in church as to what your mission was. Well, I was going to go report to a, a branch of our church that I don't know anybody. And so my parents said, look, we'll go back to California so you can report there. So that's what I did. Went back to California. And so of course I'm, I'm telling my mom and dad about Stacy and going, Oh, you know, she's in Northern Colorado, California. And I get to know her. So like, they're listening. My grandfather's there. He's listening. And, um, <laughs> my grandpa, he's sly, man. <laughs> he comes up to me when, no, when we're eating and he slips me $300. Yep. He looks at me and goes, shut your mouth, go get a ticket and go see that girl. <laughs> nice. So I called her and said, Hey, what's possibility since I'm out here coming up and seeing you for like the weekend. And she goes, well, probably pretty good. And so I got a plane ticket and went up to go see her, but she was working. So her mom picked me up at the airport. Oh, yeah. How was that? That was, that was interesting because uh, I was, I was definitely being grilled as, as to, you know, what I was going to be doing and, and things like that. And, she knew that Stacy and I were really good friends too. Cause she was pretty excited about me coming out and seeing her. So went up there and, and you got to figure Stacy has a, a pretty good sized family. So she's got um, total. There's eight kids, two girls and the rest are boys. And so my brother-in-laws and stuff were all little at that time, you know, and uh, it was, it was pretty interesting going up there and, and meeting the family, not knowing really what to expect because, you know, it's, we've been friends all this time, you know. And how and old are you at this point? I was 21. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so Stacy was 22. Yeah. So, yeah, we went up there and, and uh, we actually, our first date, it's kind of funny because her sister went with us. <laughs> <laughs> how old was her sister? Her sister was probably... Uh, I think she was maybe 17. Okay. So younger sister. Yeah. Yeah, Her younger sister. And, uh, yeah, so that's our first date was basically up there at her house and going out and where'd you guys go? Uh, we went to, we went to the movies, but then we also went to a, what movie, what movie? Oh, what was it that we went to? Um, give me a minute. I'll probably remember. Well, rain man. Really? Rain man. The, yeah. do, you, do you remember the scene where uh, they're stuck in a car accident on the highway and uh, Dustin Hoffman's character, he gets off and he's walking and Tom Cruise is walking around the circle ramp uh, off the expressway? Yeah. That's the Peter. late for Popner. Yeah, exactly. That's the Petersburg Road exit right up. The, I mean, it's literally like two miles from my house. Wow. Yep. We went to we went to saw that, and I know before that we went to a seafood place out there on the coast. And all I remember is, and I can't remember the name of the town, but it's the same place where they filmed the 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 movie The Birds with Alfred Alfred Hitchcock. That's where that was all filmed, and we went to this seafood restaurant. It was awesome. That's so cool. Really good. So you had this first date, and how long are you up there in Northern California? I was there for two, two or three days. Two or three days, and how many times during those two or three days did you see Stacy? Um, when she wasn't, when she didn't go to work, I, I saw her pretty much the entire time I was there. So, where did yeah. you stay while you were there? I stayed at her house. Her really? parents had in the living room. Wow. Okay. I remember sleeping on the floor? 
I remember waking up and, and looking and she had two of her brothers who would come around the corner and they just kind of peek and take a, take a look at me, just checking me out. I'm guessing <laughs> they were both probably about 10 or 12 or something like that. So that was your first date. Yeah. And you said you dated how many times before you were engaged? Um, well, when we, I was out there, so that whole period of time, I'm pretty much considering, you know, one, one date pretty yep. much. I mean, so even though I was there two or three days and then she came out to see me where Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. And what's funny is I just got this feeling and I told my mom, she, my mom came in, I woke up and I told my mom, I wanted to talk to her. She came in and, and cause that was the day Stacy was supposed to come see me. And I'm like, um, I think I need to go buy a ring. <laughs> and to my mom's credit, man, she didn't even question me. She goes, okay. She goes, let's go. Wow. So where uh, did Stacy stay when she came to Colorado to visit you? She stayed at our house. Yeah. And how long was she there? Uh, she was there for about two or three days as well. Two she came days. out for the weekend. Yeah. And how did she pay for that? Um, her parents had actually paid for a plane ticket. She was actually going to go to Salt Lake City for a church conference. And... Um, she asked her parents if she could change it to come see me. And so they changed the flight from Salt Lake to Denver so she could come out and see me. Wow. And you proposed to her while she was there. I did. And she said yes. And she said yes. I went and had a cake made and uh, had, would you, will you marry me on the cake? And I put the ring in the middle of the cake and that's how it happened. That's awesome. Yeah, and so, cool. so she goes home and you guys are engaged and you have this situation where she's in California, you're in Colorado and you're engaged to be married. Well, here's the interesting part. So she said, yes, but I needed to talk to her dad. So I had to call her dad, talk to him on the phone. And, and, uh, so I, I asked him and, and he was good with it. And, it was kind of funny when they came out just before we got married. Um, I don't know if you, have you heard the story of Johnny Lingo? No, tell me. Yeah, I'll have to tell you, I'll have to send you that story. It's, uh, he, uh, he was uh, in the, uh, in town and he found this girl that he, that he was interested in and nobody else was interested in. They, they thought that she wasn't, you know, this isn't Stacy by any means, but um, <laughs> didn't think that she was attractive and all this other stuff. And he started paying attention to her and, and things like that. And, and she became more and more attractive and everybody else started paying attention because he was going out with her. And so then in that tradition, in order to ask for somebody's hand, you had to have money and all this other stuff. And so he traded cows that he had for her for marriage and that's how it was accepted and so the story is really big in our in our church as far as you know because of the marriage and things like that and so i came up to her dad when he came out and i said look i don't have any cows or anything but and i put three gallons of milk on the table i said i do have three gallons of milk so we always joke that i got her for three gallons of milk so wait so did you go to california to ask her dad no. So how? No, what, what do you mean? How do you? So you're. Before you we got need married. To, well, oh, before you got married. They came out and they stayed with us before we got married. A couple of days before we got married and stuff. And so we had. But a big she said yes there. before you. Her dad gave you permission, though. Yeah, she said yes, but I needed to talk to her dad to make sure he was good. Okay. And so, how long be, between when you get engaged? Was it three months? You said. Three months. Yeah. 
three months. And did she, how was she in California and you were in Colorado for most of those three months, or if not all of it? Yep. Yep. We didn't see each other until about three or day, three or four days before we got married. And uh, still letter writing during those three months? And raising stock in AT&T at that yeah, point. I, that's what, that was my next question. Phone calls, man. How much were your phone bills? Uh, they were pretty three, four hundred dollars yeah, easy. I mean, a couple hundred I remember bucks. Both our parents going, you know, you guys could have bought a plane ticket and gone and seen each other for as much money as you're spending in long distance. But I mean, you're young and love and stupid and you don't care. You just do what you're doing. So you get so. married and then uh, the two of you, uh, you have how many children? We have three. And what are their ages and stuff? Uh, my oldest is just turned, uh, he'll turn, well, no, he just turned 20. What is this? We're in, he'll be 28 in October. So next month. Uh, my youngest son is 25 or 26. And then my daughter, the youngest is 22. Wow. Very cool. Well, Chuck, I loved having this conversation with you. I, I learned a lot more about your background. Some of the stuff I heard before, but it was good to have as a reminder and put some pieces together. <laughs> I, I, I learned, I remembered a couple of things from my past that I had forgotten about. So that was fun. And this is what the community voice is all about. It was fun. Thanks for inviting me on and, and be able to have this discussion with you. It was great. Awesome. And uh, just for those who are not a part of the Next Level Mastermind PM group that uh, might listen to this. Uh, well, first of all, the two th- do you have another two minutes or three minutes? Yeah. All right. So first thing, a little selfish thing. If somebody were thinking about hiring Cliff Ravenscraft as a coach or joining the Next Level Mastermind, but they're on the fence about it, what would you say as a testimonial of working with me over the last two years? One of the things that I've really liked is the environment of the Next Level Mastermind. I've said many times in the group, and I'll say it here too, is you know, a lot of times it's really hard reading the bottle when you're inside the bottle. You're not seeing the outside. And so when you're going through things or you're trying to accomplish things and you're inside that bottle and everybody else is looking in, they see things that you didn't see or they, they pick up on things. And to be able to come to a group and share what it is that you're looking at and looking for advice and direction and to have individuals be able to give you that advice in that direction and doing it in a loving way because they're wanting you to succeed just as much as you're wanting to succeed and, and they want to be part of that has been the biggest thing for me, especially with my background and stuff, man. It's, it's very hard for me to have a lot of trust in people because I've seen so much. That's one of the things that got me into barbecue is that I wanted to be in the contest and stuff to be able to see other people and, and to be involved with other people absent of me being a police officer People didn't know me as that. They knew me as this. Um, so it's kind of the same thing going into this mastermind group is, is you're presenting yourself as, as you are and then having people accept you as you are and then be, have a vetted interest in your growth and your success has been phenomenal for me. There have been things in, in this group and you know this Cliff and <laughs> so is our group that there have been some things that I've shared with them that I haven't shared with anybody else because I feel like I can do that with these guys. 
It's been a great opportunity for me. It was exactly what I was looking for. I did a lot of reading about masterminds before I joined the Next Level Mastermind. And I found that a lot of successful men and women, for that matter, credit their success to having been in a mastermind. And that's what intrigued me. And and then that's why I wanted to join a mastermind. And, And I have found that to be true in my experience and what I've been able to do. I've seen my business grow. I've seen my myself grow personally and professionally, just listening to other people and getting ideas from them on their professional growth and saying, you know what, that's a good idea. Let me try doing that. I've read more. And it's nice to know that at any time, I can call you, I can call anybody in this group at any time. It's just not a once a week thing. If I've got something going on, I can call you guys. Like when my father passed away, I had people within the group reaching out saying, man, anytime, I don't care what time it is, call. And it's just reassuring knowing that you have that there. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an investment, but I look at it this way. It's an investment myself. I was going to spend that kind of money on other things for my success. And I found something that I felt was a lot better for me and where I could actually see the results of that investment in myself. And that's why I've been in Next Level Mastermind now for a little over what, two years now. Yeah, in July, it was two years. So it's been great. That's why I'm still here. And I've recommended it to other people. And I know that at this point in my life that I feel that I will always be part of a mastermind or in coaching at some point because I have seen the rewards from doing that. And now I understand why these men and women were so successful having experienced it myself now. So I I would highly encourage it to anybody that's sitting on the fence, man, for both your growth personally, spiritually, financially. I don't think there's a better investment that you can make than being in a mastermind. And and I've really enjoyed the next level mastermind in the group that we're in right now. Awesome. Thank you for that. And then one last thing. Uh, So there are some people who have not been in the next level mastermind PM group with you. you, uh, So they haven't learned a little bit about what you do. So real quickly, what business do you do today? What podcast could they go and find in their favorite podcast directory? And what, where would you want somebody to go and learn more about you if they wanted to seek out more information about you? Oh, wow. Well, I, I own with my wife, um, Colorado mobile drug testing. We do employer safety, drug and alcohol testing programs for them, helping them have a safe uh, workplace environment and uh, help develop policies, all that good stuff, training. Um, so we, we've done pretty well. Our business is growing, uh, continually growing and things like that. Um, the best place to, to really find us is you can, you can check out our website at Colorado uh, mobile drug testing.com. It's got all of our information there. Uh, has our phone numbers, my emails there. Uh, you can contact me at any time. Um, and then podcast. In the podcast, well, I have what's called Clearing the Haze. It's a podcast I have that's um, primarily speaking about drug and alcohol in, in the workplace. And sometimes we'll we'll do things, you know, for, for leadership because a lot of the people that do listen to this are people that are in this industry with me. And so I felt it was important not to just focus on, you know, the daily things, but also their professional growth and stuff like that. So there's some topics that we talk about that aren't specific to just drug and alcohol testing, but um, for an entrepreneur and stuff, they're really good. So 
There you go. I'll put links to those things in the show notes for this episode. Chuck, it is an honor to know you, to call you a friend. As well. And I look forward to many, many more conversations in the years ahead. I do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go. That's another community voice conversation in the can. My great friend, Chuck Marting. Just want to say thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you have ever thought about one-on-one coaching or if you ever, if you have a business of your own and you'd like to be in an environment like what Chuck was talking about, feel free to reach out to me, cliff at cliffravenscraft.com or check out the work with me page over at cliffravenscraft.com. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset and to man.